Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Hey, I want to I share something just uh, off, uh, off the notes here for a moment. Uh, I went to, I was actually uh, theologically trained in, uh, in schools and institutions that I really respect to this day, uh, disagree with uh, more than I did back then uh, today, but I think that's good. It's, uh, you know, when we grow by iron sharpening iron, right? And so when iron sharpens iron, you get sharper uh, as sparks fly. Okay, so uh, I, I love being able to disagree with people um, uh, really well. And I, I, the, I was taught that the way that many of us worship this morning uh, by really flipping out. Did you see ben, Bennett's running across the stage? He was out of his mind. You know, the, the, uh, there's people here. I, I, have a, I have a great view down here. There's, it's, it's really wild. And I think that uh, uh, many of us, we, uh, we quote verses like uh, our worship, uh, worship shouldn't be uh, disorderly um, as uh, as verses that actually keep us from the Father's heart, and we misquote them, and we're actually, in order to stay in a fear-based theology, we are fine mishandling the word of truth. Uh, and so this morning, I, I, I want to tell you this, just from a, a dad's heart, um, do you know, uh, do you know this, this day that comes once a year called Christmas? Do you guys, you guys all know about Christmas? Um, the, let me tell you, in the Herndon household, what a good Christmas is. Uh, a, a good Christmas. Well, let me tell you about this last Christmas. Um, we got my daughter Lena this uh, moped thing that she it's, it's bigger than her she probably shouldn't be riding it it's for like 12 year olds and she's seven uh, but we got it for her because she wanted it so much and she actually does great on it and she just rules our block riding around in this thing when she opened it she flipped out all of her emotions whoosh, she flipped out and me and my wife Adrian as the, the parent, parents of the home, and we don't want a disorderly house either, we smiled on her episode because she, she got something she really wanted. And then we got my daughter Grace something that really blew her mind. And she, I'm not making this up, she cried. Even Ethan, her older brother, went over and kind of gave her the, the half, you know, the half hug, the man hug. You know, he's the hey, man, I'll get over here, sis, you know. Uh, and she cried. And then we pulled out the same thing. It was an iPhone 11, all right? She cried at that. And then we pulled out. I said, oh, what's this behind the tree? And I grabbed another iPhone 11. I handed it to Ethan, and Ethan fell on the ground. Do <laughs> you remember that? Do you want to show us how you did that right, real quick? You don't want to show us? Okay, yeah, so there he is in the red shirt. The, uh, yeah, and all of this, so my son's falling on the ground. My daughter's in tears and my other, uh, my other one's doing the laps, uh, doing something. And I smile on that as a great, fantastic Christmas. Now, what, this morning, I, I'm, I'm just offering this out as potentially good theology. What if the father looks on that type of worship and does the same? Right? So this time, though, like there's, there's one thing. If you can fall on the ground and cry over an iPhone 11, you should probably be able to do the same except more when you think about the blood of Jesus that cancels all your debts and forgives all your sins. Okay, so we, we have to, our theology has to be such that we are in touch with what is real. And when our heart is in touch with what is real, it is wired to respond. And a good Christmas is not... Here's, here's, for me, at least in my house, and everybody is different, I know, but our heart has to be at least be alive. A good Christmas is not, ah, reserve your emotions and we will reuse that wrapping paper. Don't rip it to shreds. Fold it, 
all right? We're gonna be responsible Christians, right? I, I love ripped paper. I love a war zone in the house. It reminds me of goodness and blessing and stuff. So I'm tossing that out for your consideration. It's not if you like music. It's not if you like a style. It's if you love Jesus and are in touch with the reality that you were darkness and an orphan, and now you're a son or a daughter in the kingdom of light. And your heart is supposed to respond with emotion to that reality. Tossing that out for your enjoyment. That one's free. That one's totally free for you. All right. This stuff's not. All right. So no, no. Hey, open your Bible to the book of Exodus chapter 12. This is free too. I'm feeling very generous this morning. All this is free this morning. Jesus gave it to me for free. Uh, Free to me, not free to him. All right. But uh, uh, Exodus chapter 12 this morning. uh, And I want you to turn there. And man, I've got, uh, guys, I tell you what. I've got so much on my heart uh, to speak in these days. It, it is my, when, it, when I, it comes to preaching, it's not, for me in these days, it's not, God, what do you want me to speak? It's God, God, like, I have so, I can't not speak on all of it. And my messages have been going long, and, I, you know, I've been having fun with it. Don't know if you have, but I have. I listened to Pastor Marcel's message from last week, and I'm like, I crumba, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Whoa, yes, I like that. Um, I, I heard this week of, uh, of one of our uh, deacons, Derek Favreau, and one of my good friends, Matt Schwartz, they went into a hospital and led a guy to Jesus on his deathbed. Yes, and uh, I love that. And the man passed out of this life, but into new life in Jesus because of some evangelists that went in. Uh, you guys want to hear a crazy story? This isn't out of Exodus 12. I, I feel like I've got to tell you this. You guys, uh, there's a guy that's a, a father in my life, and uh, uh, he's discipling me, a guy named Steve S. Palmer. And, uh, and he, uh, he was, was doing some soul care uh, a couple Tuesdays ago, and uh, on, on you know, many of us leading us in a lot of healing and stuff. And he had 12 hours of it. He said, Nathan, I could really go for a burger. I, I took him out to a burger joint. He started choking on, on the burger. Not like, not like he, it, he just had something caught, so he's coughing and coughing and coughing for like 10 or 15 minutes. The, uh, the waitress is coming over and she's saying, um, she's saying, you know, can I get you something to drink? Can I call an ambulance? Uh, do you have insurance? You know, she said, it wasn't good. Like 10 or 15 minutes of like, like coughing. I was taking this posture. This is how I was trained, guys. I was taking this posture of like, oh man, like, oh, so sorry. I'm just so sorry for you. Like, and then in between coughs, he looks at me with these white, he's, he's small, he's half my size. Uh, but I knew in this moment that he could severely beat me uh, in, in any way possible. He looked at me, eyes got really big. And with authority, he said, you man of God, <coughs> do something about this. <coughs> And I was like, I was like, do what? Like, I was like, what? I wasn't, I went to Moody. You know, I, I have no clue what you mean. And then he says, do something about this. So I said, okay. And in a, in a moment of like, of a like holy visitation at our table in a bar, all right? Um, and it was the landing, you know, not on the bar side for any of you who are uh, concerned. Uh, on, on the, yeah. The, uh, but I, I just said, I said, in Jesus' name, Whatever is causing my brother's esophagus, I even went, I went with, you know, biological terms. Whatever is causing my brother's esophagus harm, I pray in Jesus' name that it would be removed. And he's doing this in this posture as he's coughing. Then he goes like this as I'm, as he's, as I'm done praying. And then he goes back to eating and said, I'm better. That's fine. That's fine. Thank you for that. The, uh, I, 
I'm not making this up. All right, I'm not making this up. I'm learning how to walk uh, with Jesus and I'm learning how to call on his name even when it's out of my comfort zone. And as I'm learning, I just wanna share the love with you. I, I wanna tell you, this, this, isn't, this book is not fiction. This didn't happen in some dimension or portal long, a long, long time ago. These were men and women just like us who walked the same planet that we walked, that knew God in a way that we need to. And God is calling us in, in more radical ways to believe him, in him, like never before. I caramba. I don't know what that means, all right? But I like saying it this morning. Fired up, fired up. Um, guys, so this is a, quite a season uh, where I really believe that God is doing uh, a mighty work. He's pioneering re revival. I've been studying a guy named Evan Roberts, who is uh, the 26-year-old leader of the, the Welsh revival, whose one prayer was, give us 100,000 souls. And in two years, 100,000 souls were given. It's the, known as the Welsh revival in 1904. Uh, the only way that they knew how to explain this is they wrote a song. And uh, one of the lyrics in the song says, grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world with love. That's how they were explaining what was happening in 1904 in Wales. And I really believe that what God is, is calling us to do is what uh, Evan Roberts did, and he devoted his life to prayer to usher that in. I believe that God is pioneering revival, and to do that, he's calling us to pray. Amen? Uh, I believe that God is building people. Uh, I believe that he, this year that, that God is going to unleash us like a, like a catapult, like a water balloon slingshot. Uh, he's going to release us into being a church that actually makes disciples, that actually builds people. And the word disciple means learner. And so as soon as we say that, I think that we, we have this weird idea that we picture ourselves in a classroom learning from a very smart person that we have no relationship with. And I think what Jesus is teaching us is, no, no, when Jesus taught his disciples to make disciples, he's like, here's the environment, it's relationship, it's mothers and fathers. In fact, I would say that moms and dads are better disciple, disciple makers of their children than professors are of their students, right? This is how, like, you share your life with somebody and everything you've got, you give to them and hope that they're better than you for all your life. I think God's calling us to start building people that way. God's calling us to become family, not just take corporate terminology and, and just say, well, we're not gonna have leaders now, we're gonna have moms and dads. That's not it. I mean, like, become family and get dirty and messy and, like, be committed to one another. God's doing that this year. God's doing that in 2020. I really, really believe that. I feel like that's on us. But this morning, I wanna grapple with this, is what is the foundation of all of these things? Because we can go after, you know, becoming family and building people, and we can start you know, formulating curriculums and what are we going to teach and wrestling with all this stuff. We can even start hitting our knees and praying for 100,000 souls or a million souls or a billion souls or how many souls you have faith for in these years. But if there's not a foundation built at the bottom of all of this, this is, this is just, this, this won't last. And I, I, I got up here and I led in communion a few weeks ago. And as I was leading communion, reading verse after verse after verse after verse on the blood of Christ and all the benefits of the blood of Christ, I think God was hitting me. Hey, we don't understand the foundational uh, reality of the blood of Jesus Christ Amen. under all of this. 
listen to this. It doesn't matter how many times you lead in family devotions. If, you're, if you and your family are not covered in the blood, it's just religion. It does not matter. It doesn't not matter if you have perfect church attendance and you graduated from Awanas and then you got your kids in Awanas and you're your 12th generation Awana. If you're not covered in the blood, it does not matter how, how much you know, it's just religion. It doesn't matter what political party you affiliate yourself with. You can be a Republican going to hell and a Democrat going to heaven if you're covered in the blood or not. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that, that we draw these political lines and that we are, we are more entrenched in our political lines instead of this kingdom that we've been adopted into called the kingdom of heaven. We, 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 the, the blood of Jesus Christ is crucial, profound, foundational. Foundational. And I, I believe that, that everything uh, hangs on on, uh, on this uh, biblical truth and this biblical reality and this biblical theology. And that is why I had you turn to Exodus chapter 12 because Exodus chapter 12 is not the first place where we see the blood in operation, but it is one place and it's a great place and it's gonna act like a springboard into the New Testament, ultimately to the cross. But I wanna talk about Exodus chapter 12 for a moment. And, uh, and if you haven't turned there, please do. Um, let me put this in context. Israel has been in bondage and slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. And uh, God calls a man named Moses at a burning bush that wasn't burning. That's where God met with, with Moses. And he said, he said, Moses, remove your shoes. <laughs> like we have done today. This is holy ground, Moses. And he does that. that wow, that was, that was some authority in that. Well, that was good. Um, I should preach like this all the time. You listen better and you stop scrolling on your phone. So anyway, um, the, uh, so, but he calls Moses and he says, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You're a stutterer, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to compensate for your weaknesses and I'm sending you to Egypt. You're gonna talk to Pharaoh. Here's your one sermon, let my people go. Freedom is in the heart of the Father for his people. He hasn't, he hasn't been deaf to their cries. And so he sends Moses to Egypt, and Moses preaches this message to Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh continues to harden his heart, and God keeps sending plagues on Egypt because Pharaoh wants to be God walking the earth instead of submit to the real and only God, and so his heart keeps getting hardened, and God keeps sending plagues as a kindness to break Pharaoh's heart, but Pharaoh won't be broken. And so the 10th and final plague we find here in, uh, in Exodus chapter 11 and 12 where God says, okay, I am going to send a destroyer to wipe out the firstborn of all of Egypt. And he does, from the livestock and the goats and the cattle all the way up to Pharaoh's house, the firstborn of every household is going to die. This is the Bible, okay? We, 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 we wrestle with this, and I know how that sounds, but we don't get to pick and choose what's true or not to us. We, we have to grapple with what is true, and we don't decide God does. And here we go, here we go. Now, in the midst of all this, in Exodus chapter 12, God institutes something called the Passover. 
And in the Passover, God says to Moses and to Aaron, he says, hey, here's what I'm going, going to do. As the destroyer is coming to Egypt, you all are going to partner with my deliverance. You are going to partner with my kindness of heart, and I'm going to provide a way out for you all, out of this judgment. I don't want to judge you. I'm judging Egypt. I'm judging Pharaoh and his people. I want you to be spared from this, and so you can partner with me, and here's what you're going to do, and you're going to have to trust me and believe me and do this by faith, but here's what you need to do. And it's Exodus chapter 12, starting, let's start with verse 4, and if the household, well, actually, starting with verse 5, uh, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Is going to verse 6, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So, 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 I thought you were going to say there's an answer. That, that just sounds like ludicrous. That just sounds craziness. Now, here's the answer that God has. He says, I want you to take the best sheep that you've got, and at twilight, and he specifies, we don't need to get into all the dates, but at twilight, I want you and everybody else in all of Israel who belong to me, I want you to, to sacrifice this lamb. And here's what I want you to do with this lamb. Uh, I want you to, uh, well, let's continue reading. Let's skip down to, to verse, uh, uh, verse 13, actually verse 12. So I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So here's what God has done. This land that you're supposed to, the best land that you got in your flocks or your herds, you're supposed to sacrifice this together at twilight, and then you're supposed to take the blood from the unblemished lamb, and, and God is very specific. I want you to spread the blood with hyssop, on the lintel, which is the beam that goes across the doorpost, and then on the doorpost to the right and to the left. And I want you to spread the lamb's blood on the entrance to your house. And what will happen is when the destroyer comes, the blood on your house will be a, a sign to you that you all are hiding yourself in the promise of God that the destroyer will over you, the destroyer will pass over you when he sees the blood of the lamb on your door. And so what happens is the people do it. <laughs> they do this. And here's what happens. Look at verse 21 of chapter 12. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the, ba in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. I was getting ahead of myself. That's, that's where I got that from. Uh, None of you shall go out of the doors of his house until morning. Look at verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. Listen, he's going to strike the Egyptians, not his people. The Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. The destroyer's coming, and God's saying, like, no, 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 there's blood on this door. These people have taken my promise. They've walked in my promise. They've operated in faith. You can't touch them. You can't touch them. And you shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep the service. So this is very interesting. He's not just telling the people how to be saved, but he's telling the people how to celebrate till kingdom come. 
He, it's not just a one-time moment. He's like, I always want you to remember this moment throughout all the generations that I spared you by my blood. And we continue to read down. Let's, let's, uh, let's look at verse uh, 27. You shall say, here's what you should say to your children. It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the, listen, here's the response to this. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Now, I was going to get this later, but here's the response to massive sacrifice. Here's the response when God spares you, is you respond to God in worship. You respond in worship. So I wonder if our hearts have a hard time feeling affections to God. I wonder how in, in tune with our salvation we actually are if we're saved. If we're saved. And, and I'm, I'm saying that as a very kind warning. Because some of us, if we only know how to watch but not enter in. If, if, if worship to us is just songs that we don't need. If church to us is just, I want my kids to be raised with good morals. Then, then you don't know the Jesus that wants to cover you in his blood. And you just press into him. Listen, he's knocking. Are you going to answer? That's up. And then verse 28, then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. So listen to this. They did what God said. They didn't study what God said. They didn't just teach people to do it. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the lentil. It's the lentil. You got to spread. No, get a bigger thing of hyssop and spread that out. Oh, yeah, get it down the side post. Two. Oh, really good. Hey, that one looks good. That one needs work. Oh, you, yeah, really good. Okay, we're good. No, we're not. If you didn't put blood on your house, you just tried to teach other people how to, it doesn't matter how much you know, you may be an expert in the law, but you still need the blood. Man, it, it reminds me too much of the church. Everybody wants to teach. Teach that, teach that. When are we going to take authority of burgers in restaurants and actually begin to say, God, I want everything you've got? That didn't go well. That one didn't go well. Did you listen? No, anyway. The, uh, okay. So, guys, here's, here's, a, here's a, a few things that I want to pull out. Um, that Israel is saved by the blood of the Lamb according to the promise of God. Do you hear this? How is Israel saved? The blood of the Lamb according to the promise of God. They didn't invent this on their own. They didn't say, hey, if we all kill sheep at twilight <laughs> and then just spread that stuff around, like maybe God will like that. Oh, that's a great idea. Spread, it's like, a, it's like painting. It's not like that. This is God's idea. And so they say, oh, God, this is your idea. You're telling us to do this. You're promising us that we will be saved. This is according to the promise of God. This is invented in the heart and mind of God is the blood of the lamb. Okay, I don't need to understand it, but I am going to operate it, and that's how it works. Verse 23, when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, that is by the blood, the Lord will pass over the, over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter the house to strike you. That's, that's the promise of God. Promise of God, destroyer will not come in when the blood is over your house. 
Israel is saved by the blood of the lamb according to the promise. Now that is so, so important because it points to the real lamb of God coming hundreds of years later. But this is just the picture, okay? People, people, I'll get to that. Now listen to this next thing though. The blood on the door required faith. What, oh, what are the Egyptians going to think when they see us spreading this stuff? They're going to think we're the weirdest people. Listen, the Egyptians are oppressing you. Why in the world do you care what you or your oppressors think? God is coming with liberation in his heart. Why are you concerned with oppressive interactions? The blood on the door, on the door required faith. Maybe some people, can you imagine, if, if this was me back in that day, and so I'm like, okay, so Moses, are you, is Moses losing his mind? What, we're all going to slaughter an animal and then we're going to spread, spread it on our house and that's supposed to work? <laughs> I, I would be questioning that probably. Right? I'd probably. But Moses was not doing this for, for the people necessarily so they would get it. It's that the people had to respond to Moses' message with faith. Faith is not blind. Faith is not stepping off. Faith is like there's actual promise there, and the pro- and it's a, you're stepping into a promise and trusting that God knows more than you. It's not just blindly stepping into the unknown. It's stepping into the known promise of God. God's like, here it is. Do you want it? You've got to step into it. That is what faith is. So the, the word faith is it's more action than it is just cognitive. Okay, it's not faith if it stays in the brain and doesn't step into reality. And so here, here God is saying, put blood on your house. Put it on your house. Verse 28, then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. There's a lot in that. The people of Israel, they heard what to do. They didn't, there's, they didn't necessarily understand it, but they may have, because in this culture, sacrificing animals and stuff was much more common than it is today. But understand it or not is not the important part. They did what they did or did not understand. And that's what made it faith. It's interesting, too, that Israel's freedom first required Passover. That's very interesting. And today, we, we think of freedom like, man, we've we, we got to set ourselves free. Revolution. Fight, fight, fight. We're Americans. Break free. Boston Tea Party. You know? But here, this is a whole different kind of freedom that you don't, you don't actually fight for. You receive. You rest for this freedom. And and you can't walk in freedom until you're legitimately set free. And these are people that were not strong enough to fight against Egypt. So they needed to trust God who was and had the way out. And here we go. We got freedom for, for, for God's people, but it required blood. And it required God's supernatural move on the earth. And it required faith to walk in. And it required a, a, a lamb sacrifice. And it required promises that you're trusting God to deliver on, on his end. Should I walk in them? God, I'm trusting you that you will deliver. 
and it, it, it was, it's a, there's a lot here, but let's move on for time's sake. I want to tell you this, and here's what everything is leading up to, that the Passover is pointing. The Passover is pointing. It's pointing. Say, like, well, it's pointing to the future. It's pointing to an event where a lamb legitimately without fault or blemish named Jesus would be sacrificed not just for a certain race before the sins of the world. So the Passover is pointing toward the cross where sin will not only be passed over for a time, but paid for for eternity. See, this is, see what, is, what is happening here is, is God is passing over sin, not bringing judgment, but passing over it. He's not actually paying for it. He's giving an illustration to who will pay for it in the future. But the, the blood of sheep don't pay ultimately for sins. It's just pointing towards the ultimate sacrifice where Jesus in full messianic prophecy, fulfillment, will pay for sins. Where sins won't just be passed over, they will be punished. Where sins won't just be overlooked and turned a blind, blind eye to, but they will be dealt with and paid for. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7b, the second half, says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So there is no mystery here what the lambs sacrificed at twilight, the ones without blemish, male, a year old, there's no mystery here what they're pointing to and who they're pointing at. First Corinthians 5, 7, Christ. You know who Christ is? Our Passover lamb. Do you know what he has been? Sacrificed. How that doesn't stir worship in a soul and makes you want to fall over and cry on the ground is beyond me. All of the centuries of sacrificing lambs and goats were only pointing towards Jesus, the final sacrifice. Let me be very, very, very clear that former lambs are not paying their pointing. Pointing towards Jesus, pointing towards Jesus, pointing towards Jesus. There's a Messiah coming who these lambs are an illustration of. And where sins will not just be, have a blind eye uh, turned away from for a moment in history, but a holy God will actually pay for the dishonoring people's sins by sending his son to pay the price that a lamb could just simply not pay. A lamb is pointing towards the one who could. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says this, and this is Peter speaking to the church. You were ransomed. You were, you were held captive. Like Ransom means you were held captive, and there was a price on your head. Give us a million, and you'll get your mom back, all right? And then I would get angry. I'd say, my mom's worth way more than a million. She's like, 1.5, right? 100 billion for my mom. My mom would bust her way out of her own. I'm telling you, you have no clue the very intense woman that she is. She's from Georgia, okay? She's from Georgia. All right, she's done. But here in this, there's, you cannot overpower the, 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 your captive, the one who has you in captivity. 
In this situation, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. That's just the repetitive sinning, the repetitive choosing small things over holy God. Not with, you, you were ransomed, but not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You weren't bought with money. But with the precious, listen, you were bought, you were ransomed, not with funds, not with a billion dollars. You were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So these lambs without blemish or spot are pointing to the precious blood of Christ who would in fact ransom us and who would in fact speak a better word over us. Not that your sins will be passed over, but your sins will be paid for. It's a better word. Here's the word when the enemy comes and tries to speak religion into you. You say, listen, I was purchased. I was purchased. I don't belong in your kingdom anymore. I was purchased. The blood speaks a much better word. Much better word. Romans 3, 23 to, uh, to 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you and I were made to feast on the glory of God. And this is the, this is the crazy thing, that we've sinned and we can't have what our hearts were wired for. To feast on the glory of God, the excellencies of God, the greatness of God. To see him and enjoy him and to walk with him and to know him and to climb in his lap and to cry out, Dad! And have him pick us up and have us blow and have our minds be blown by the wonders at his right hand. That's what we're made for. But our sin has caused us to fall short of his glory. But it goes on to say, but we're justified by his grace as a gift. Wow, justified. That means God calls us righteous. That means he declares us righteous. And this is not something you work for or earn. This is grace as a gift that you receive. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. I'm going to repeat this again just in case you didn't hear the first 20 times. But sin cannot be passed over. Sin cannot be ignored by God forever. Sin to a holy God has to be paid for eventually. And Jesus is that eventually. And so the whole Bible is pointing towards Jesus. whole Bible is pointing towards the incarnation. whole Bible is pointing towards the treasure of the universe, of infinite worth and value, with no blemish, no spot, perfect in his essence. Dying for us. And what happens is, is all of the perfection of Jesus, all the righteousness of Jesus, now by gift, by grace, through faith, is given to sons and daughters. So you don't, you don't earn, you don't have to be worthy, you just have to receive. How many of our kids came up and say, hey dad, I just don't think I'm worthy to be a part of your house. Say, knock that off, slap him in the face. No, I would never do that. I, I know I was losing some of you and you're leaving. But uh, I would say, I, I'm not, it's, it's, your, it's who you are that makes you precious to me. It's not your performance. And the same thing is with Christianity. It's, it's not attendance. God's not looking through attendance. and do, God just wants you. 
And he couldn't do any more to prove that. He's giving you the righteousness of Christ. He's justifying you. He's declaring you righteous. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says, We have now been justified. How? By his blood. Oh, so it's by his blood. Oh, so I don't have to try to be righteous. I don't have to try to, d- to declare myself righteous. No, you are declared by, righteous by a holy God, even as a sinful man, by a holy Jesus because of his precious blood. Oh, 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 wow, wow. I'll I, I, caramba, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what, what, what? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I love big words like propitiation by his blood. Propitiation just simply means this. All the punishment you deserve, all the wrath you deserve, all the legal demands that the enemy has on you, all the debts that the enemy is wrapping on you and on top of you and all around you, all the, all the soul ties you've got, all the stuff to the bajillionth generation, all the sins of your fathers, all the way down the line, all of those things are satisfied by the blood of Jesus Christ. All of them. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Listen, listen, there was one time when you did not belong. And Jesus came running down your road, yo. And he bought you back. And now he says, you are one who belongs to me. I've ransomed you. I've paid for you. You're, the right, you're my righteousness. I give that to you as a gift. When the Father sees you, Jesus says, he's seeing me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now Christ Jesus, uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen, listen, you can feel far off, but if you're in Christ, you're not far off. You hear this? You can feel far off, but in Christ, you, you, you're, you're a part of the family of God. In Christ, you are no longer far off. Your fears have to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter one, verse five says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. You know the better word that the blood speaks? You're free. You're very, very free. Oh, what about all the stuff that I feel? Well, let's, the blood can take care of that. It's one thing to sing, uh, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. It's one thing to sing that, and it's one thing to operate in it. Wow. And in, in 2020, I have seen demons, I've seen demons run at the mention of the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Over people's lives that didn't know that they belonged. And so the demons like, just, oh, he doesn't know he belongs. She doesn't know she belongs. Let's, let's play. No, 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 no. Hey, hey, hold on. No, this one belongs. This one, it's the blood of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name. We can sing about it, but when you see darkness flee at the name, you begin to walk in a different authority on this earth. we, We are adopted and belong and are very, very free. So the blood speaks. It speaks. It speaks new identity in Christ. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a daughter. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a son. It's your new identity. It's your new identity in Christ. It it speaks. I'm not outside looking in. I'm inside being sent out. Speaks. 
I'm not striving to be qualified. I have been qualified by my Father, and I have an inheritance that I don't deserve. It speaks. <laughs> oh, man, Colossians chapter 1. I can't get enough of it. It just speaks, to, starting with verse 11. May you be strengthened. Here's Paul's prayer to the Colossian believers. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience, and I love this one, with joy. You're supposed to light up the darkness with laughter. You're supposed to be happy about what God's done. And joy is like happiness times infinity on steroids because it doesn't depend on circumstance. It's just joy and the darkest hour of the soul. Joy. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. You share an inheritance that makes everything else look pequeño. And I think that's Spanish for small, all right? Sorry for all my Spanish here this morning, all right? I caramba. Uh, verse 13 says, he has, here's what he has done. He has, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And how do we have that redemption? His blood. How do we have it? It's already said it. His blood. This is what speaks. We are we're the land of the free, no matter what country we reside in. We, we are the land of the free. The freedom hinges on the blood of Jesus. That's what the kingdom speaks. And you know what else does? If you are, are ever, and I've made mention to this again, but I just want to speak this into our hearts, that if, if, you're, if you've ever been um, wanting more, your heart to explode, your, your heart to, instead of being an icebox, be a torch, if you've ever wanted that, I promise your, your worship hinges on Jesus. Your, your worship hinges on the blood of Jesus. Uh, Exodus 12, 27, I mentioned this already, but the response to the Passover, the people bowed their heads and worshiped. I've been studying uh, revivals in the First Great Awakening with, uh, with Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was the mouthpiece and the theology behind the First Great Awakening, but his wife, Sarah Edwards, was the blazing furnace behind it. And she, she would walk into a room where people were just talking about the great price that Jesus played, and she would just fall on the ground and praise. They'd have to carry her to her bed, but she wasn't sick. She was just lovesick. When you begin to sing songs of praise, sometimes she would stay three, four hours after the service ended, feeling like she was levitating into heaven because she was so caught up into the great magnificence of who God is and not only who he is, but what he has done, which has allowed us to connect with who he is. So listen to this. This is what worship is like in heaven. Revelations 5, 9, they sang a new song. Here's how the song went. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe. And this breaks down all race, racial superiority. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. 
This is the song that they sing in heaven. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels. Now, this is angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. This is what Jesus is famous for in all the universe. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down to worship. Now we got four living creatures saying amen. We got elders falling down to worship. We've got myriads and myriads of angels singing to God with loud triumphant voices. But guess who we don't have singing yet? The redeemed. None of these people have been washed in the blood. None of these, these creatures have had the blood of Christ as the payment for their sins. And this is what their worship looks like. And then when you take those who have been redeemed, who don't belong there, so they thought, but God had a better plan. And he buys them and ransoms them and redeems them all back. Comes running down all the roads. He who is worthy. The, the sound erupts as those who have actually been redeemed. Guys, you have every reason in the world to go after God. And thankfulness and gratitude and praise to lay on the ground and cry as much as you want, to roll around and yell a little bit, to be so blessed out of your mind by what God has done for you. See, the, the, the great invitation of God is not to have a good, tight schedule of family devotions and study habits and voting records and church attendance and Bible studies and opinions about theological issues. That is not the great invitation of God. In fact, I would say this, it does not matter how much you revere God if you haven't received God. And you receive God by the blood of Jesus. Oh, oh, you tell me that all my sins, you will paint the actual blood, not lamb's blood, but Jesus' blood on the doorpost and lintel of my heart. So hell itself cannot have me. I'll step into that promise. This is, this is how the church operates. So, so God's invitation to you this morning is stop trying to be religious and bring all of your stuff into the family under the blood of Jesus. And my question for you this morning is just have you done that? Have you done that? You, well, I, I've come to church. And I, I, I like Jesus. I think he's cool. But like Jesus or not, you have to believe Jesus and do what he says and step into it. So this morning, right where you're seated, God sees you, he knows you, and he wants you. And the question is, do you want him? The way that you get him is by believing in what he has done for you. Let's stand your feet. Heavenly Father, as people stand, I pray they stand into new life, resurrection life. I pray that you would raise up faith in these people. That God, people that feel far off but are not, they actually belong. I pray for a revival of your, your word and your blood and your life and all the benefits of the blood in their life again. 
And for people that have only known you from a distance and, re- and it's just never really made sense in their heart, just kind of in their mind, God, I pray that today would be a day of salvation. Your word says today is the day of salvation. So I pray for any person that does not know Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as treasure, as forgiver of sins, as everything. I pray today would be a day that you would be received heartily and full of faith in the hearts of people this day, God. So we just, I just give you these people. I just pray this would be such a holy moment, holy moment, God. Bless, 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 bless these people today. Send them out with such joy in their hearts. Let them light up every restaurant they go to, I pray. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.